Welcome to the Global Venturing Review Leadership Series. This is the second part of our two-part interview, where Izzy Wolga, Head of Strategy and Innovation for the 10 Group, interviews Jonathan Tudor from Centrica and our very own James Mawson. If you missed the first part, do go back on your podcast feed and download that one first. And if you already listened to it, then just keep on playing. Over to you, Izzy. My next question, which is about co-investment. So this is, I mean, probably slightly cynical, <laughs> cynically worded anyway. And Jonathan might want to take it first, but it's really a, a question around sort of whether co-investment is sort of as beneficial to a corporate as finding, you know, the best startups before your competitors do and getting ahead and investing in them first. I think if you'd asked me that question sort of five, six years ago, I'd have probably said, strategic co-investment isn't as beneficial but i've completely changed my mind now right i I mean there's the obvious benefits around you're building a new relationship and and jim keeps referring to this ecosystem and you know i think there's an old adage which says we don't have competitors in in venture we just have people we wouldn't want to invest alongside (laughs) and and i i kind of see that extending here now in 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 the corporate world i mean it, if something is so strategically relevant to you as a corporate that you don't want to see your competitor in alongside the deal, isn't that saying to you you should be buying the company? Because in a, in a way, you're not no lawyer on, or founder is going to let you have such a controlling influence that they wouldn't be able to do business with your competitors. Right? And then that's not the idea of us doing corporate venturing is to kind of thwart any business they might do with, you know, a, a competitor. But then I think there's another real example. It, it, it's something that I've done previously it's, it's a, when I was at BP and that there was a company in California which had an angel round. Um, a small number of investors came in very early in the company. There was no VCs. And then there was a second round that came in, all corporate venturers, and when you look around the table, right, there's an energy company then as well. We, we were sitting alongside Intel. Uh, there was UPS, et cetera. And, and, and we hitherto never really had any relationship with those kind of organizations, potentially maybe as a supplier-customer relationship, but that was it. And so when you start to see these new sectors emerging, there's naturally going to be an overlap um, between large organizations, which hadn't happened before. You know, we're increasingly seeing that in, in the energy uh, in, in, in world. If you just, again, look at mobility, you know, that, that's increasingly going away from the use of hydrocarbons to, to fuel them, to, to electric or, or you know, hydrogen and fuel, fuel cells, et cetera. We naturally step in when an oil and gas company hadn't traditionally, you know, when we were predominantly an electric, uh, electricity provider for those. And so understanding how that integrates in the ecosystem we're having conversations with automotive manufacturers, which we've never had done before, apart from when they supplied us vehicles. Having other people around as co-investment at the table with you is, is kind of reassuring because then you're not only getting you know, founders' purview of the world, but you're getting that your peers' view, right? And I, so I'm not, I wouldn't even necessarily use the word competitor in, in that. It, it's your peers. It, you know, we can go back and say, look, we're not the only mad ones in the market. There's other people seeing the same trend, reacting it in the same way. And actually, I think there could be a partnership opportunity here. 
And, and that is, you know, from a, the back of a couple of things that we've got in our pipeline now of, of, of investment, where there's side conversations starting off the back of that with people who've either looked at the company and maybe walked away or looked at the company and considering investing. And then we're talking about, well, hey, why don't we kind of triangulate here? And if we do this and this and this all together, doesn't that bring in something even more compelling for a consumer, as an example? So, I, I, yes, there's definitely co-investment is 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 really beneficial than just finding a, a startup ahead of your competitor. Yeah, great to hear, Jonathan. It's interesting to see how the sort of market <coughs> evolves and you know those new field opportunities are created, sort of new or cross-sectoral sort of collaboration opportunities. I mean, certainly you know, the sort of data bears that out. You know, if you run the numbers from GCB Analytics, 77% of rounds which a corporation leads has another corporate involved in. So if you think about that from an entrepreneur's point of view, they're saying, right, you know, A, we think the corporate can lead around and they're prepared to do so, but we don't even necessarily just want the corporation involved themselves. We think having a mix of other CVCs is helpful. And then if you look more broadly, that sort of co-investment sort of strategy, I think something like 50% of CVCs have co-invested with at least two other corporations out of the 3,000 or so that uh, we sort of have been tracking over, over the past decade. You know, so again, this whole ecosystem, by, by virtue of the fact that these entrepreneurs or these venture rounds usually you know, are a syndicate, you're taking a minority stake. Don't if it was a majority made different strategic landscape. You're t- trying to take optionality and leverage your capital, bring in other people who might be able to again add more than just capital. They could bring be a customer, could be a supplier, you know, help develop. They might be an acquirer of the business. But by doing that, you form ties with these other sort of innovation-minded groups that might have other spin-off benefits back to the parents. So I think it's super exciting. I think. That whole evolution of the ecosystem really being driven by a corporation being prepared to work together, entrepreneurs wanting that, you know, rather than maybe perhaps more of a traditional venture mindscape, which is how do we maximize our share of this company and take more of the round and squeeze out our competitors because we need best financial returns in order to raise our next funds. The whole corporate venturing ecosystem and mindset is subtly different in that way. And I think it's it's good and I think it's beneficial for everyone. Great. I feel like we've got loads of really good content from this call. I mean, I've got one more on here about how closely sort of corporate venturing aligns with and impacts sort of broader political goals. And the one I sort of put in brackets here was decarbonisation. I feel like we sort of have touched upon that. But it might it might be interesting to sort of extend that that question a little bit further. And obviously, there's you know the narrative that dominates a lot of the business pages of newspapers at the moment, and the sort of wider narrative around business is this idea of sort of you know profit and purpose being as important these days. And you know there are a lot of obviously VCs pivoting their investment strategy towards a more purpose-led approach to investing and to what extent do you do you see that in the world of of corporate venturing i mean obviously as you say it's 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 a financial um investment that you're making there's risks associated but do you think the sort of financial element of corporate venturing is as important or do you think that you know a more a more purpose-led approach to venturing 
is growing. I mean, Jonathan, I'm, I'm thinking specifically about the EFT fund that Centrica are obviously involved with. To what extent are we seeing sort of more, more interest in, in social impact investing? So for us, I think we, as a corporate, we clearly have, like anybody else, social responsibility. And for us, that t- touches largely around sustainability and, and climate. We're an energy company. And so that's very pertinent to us at the moment. And then we, like I've said, if we want to ter- target earlier stage businesses, they're the hardest in a way for a, a corporate to manage. Um, you know, the teams need to be built out. There's a lot more hands-on that you have to do. And we don't necessarily have the bandwidth and the real experience that comes with learning how to um, build and nurture founders teams, for example. So we, we've did made a decision that we're not going to do that through the main venture fund uh, activity. And, and we are in the process of setting up an energy for tomorrow uh, investment vehicle. But we won't necessarily be taking equity in that. You know, if we're talking very early stage where it's, you know, tens of thousands, maybe a few hundred thousand pounds worth of capital, it's easier to do the, those as a, as, a, as a mere grant just to help those companies to get going. Then we're not sitting on the board. We, you know, if the companies don't do well and the, the complexity that you get sucked into as, as a shareholder, you know, it takes so much of your time when you could be working with another founder or helping to build another business kind of goes away and so that's that's something as a concept that we want to evolve this year in particular is how do we um social impact how do we do that not only for you know decarbonization and sustainability things which are important for us for the company but also when we look at who have been historically the underserved founders the female founders you know people from um, different minority groups etc is how do we empower them more without and, and get them going and accelerating that and feel like they've got to give too much of their company away when they literally only get get going. So that that's one thing that we are um, going to be doing. I, I, I if I look into the main investment fund where we do take equity, we do do the you know more traditional kind of convertible loan notes, etc., like everybody else. Doing do, do, double bottom line investing, yes, if we could find the right deal, we would do that. But it's not what drives us through that all our investments are linked to that transition that we're going through as a company that happens to be pretty aligned with politically where countries are going and nations are going it's aligned with what uh, consumers are increasingly expecting and demanding on both an experience and a a product point of view around uh, emissions and and um you know net net zero and decarbonization etc so they they we get pulled in that direction because the market's going in that direction. If we find a company which has that dub- double bottom line benefit, fantastic. But we, we don't necessarily put that front of mind in part of our investment strategy. It's all about how do we make the, the corporate more successful. But for us as a corporate, it is going in that direction anyway. So they're, they're aligned, but it's not the guiding star. Yeah, fascinating. And be certainly very keen to hear more about the, the sort of the... Uh the sort of energy for tomorrow vehicle, Jonathan, as as and when that gets down the track. I mean, certainly very much what you've been saying plays into the sort of bigger picture that we've been seeing as well. I think there's broadly two trends that are starting to sort of combine. One, which is this, you know, if you think about venture capital more broadly or technology 
it's very much operated in what's been called a permissionless environment. You know, if you set up, if you're an entrepreneur and you set something up, a technology, a widget or an app or whatever, you know, and it doesn't work, you kind of shrug your shoulders, you might apologize and you try again, maybe do something different. But in most industries, you know, whether it's in energy or financial services or healthcare, there's regulators, you know, and they say, well, you know, let's ask for permission first before you maybe try to do something and kill lots of people or affect the power supply. And so that sort of, as you see the sort of digitalization or venture sort of start to affect, you know, let's call it the sort of real world economies of, you know, energy and healthcare in particular and others, you know, then how do you start to say, well, venture capital maybe needs to think about asking for permission first rather than forgiveness afterwards. So I think that's a factor, that sort of so-called tech lash, as it's sometimes called, is then being combined with, you know, the sort of broader societal or political pressures which are that, you know, why are you doing this stuff? Who benefits? And then, you know, does society or, you know, the people benefit or is it just a small group of fund managers that benefit? Is it underlying LPs? And who are these LPs? Are they different societies? So there's a lot more question that's being brought onto that. I mean, certainly the work we did with the sort of UN a few years ago, you know, estimated it's about $22 trillion of cash and short-term assets sitting on corporate balance sheets. As society starts to say, you know, what is your decarbonisation strategy? What sort of world do the kids want to live in? Or, you know, how do you understand about bringing more into the banking or financial services economy, in, you know, different markets? How do you think about education and poverty? A whole host of what the UN calls through their sustainable development goals, the 17 issues there. How do they get so overlaid? And, you know, that's sometimes called double bottom line. But I think corporations, when we run through the numbers of the sort of near 20,000 or so deals that done over the past decade by CVC units, if you overlay that SDG, that overlap, actually a, a, quite a number of them would have that impact or DBL view. They're not done for that reason specifically on the whole. They're done because they think they're going to help the entrepreneur or make money or you know, in, you know benefit the corporate parent. But actually, if you do apply that overlay, you do see that actually these are technology for good or they're investments for good in that broader society in political way. Global Venturing Review was produced by In-Ear Production. You can find out more by going to inearproduction.com.